Podcast for America is sponsored by Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your own computer and printer. Right now, use our promo code AMERICA for this special offer. Go to Stamps.com and sign up for a no-risk trial plus a $110 bonus offer, which includes up to $55 in free postage. It's great for your mail. It's great for small businesses. That's Stamps.com. Enter offer code AMERICA. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Podcast for America, a show from Canopy about the human feeding frenzy that is a presidential campaign cycle. I'm Alex Wagner, host of MSNBC's Now with someone named Alex Wagner, and I'm speaking to you from the Panoply Studios in Fair, New York City. Sitting next to me is Mark Leibovich in the flesh, national correspondent for the New York Times Magazine, chief national correspondent to you. It is great to have you in the studio, Mark. Some big news today that you are going to be doing a big, splashy book with the publishers of, is it the Clifford the Big Red Dog Exactly, books? yeah. That, it's going to be Clifford the Red Big Red Dog for football and political culture all wrapped into one. No, yeah, the big news is I'll be doing a book that the shorthand within the publisher's office is this town for that's self-referential to a book I've written previously uh, for the National Football Available League. now in paperback. Yeah. So I'm going to take on the moral circus and the violent madness of the National Football League in some kind of form to be announced. Is, to be is the deflator going to be in it? That all remains to be seen. That This is a blank slate right now. I'm now in the stage where I just celebrate it and I, and I talk to people tantalizingly about what I might Well, you always speak out. tantalizingly about That's your books, what which I try. are available in paperback. Yeah, this will be the And it first. is a book only with pictures. Is that correct? I hope so. Just no words. I mean, speaking <laughs> speaking as some speaking as a consumer as well as a writer, I would hope that the pictures would, would take <laughs> precedent. We have a weird background thing going on, man. An indulgent laugh coming from Washington D.C., and that, ladies and gents, is Annie Lowry, who is in our Dupont Circle Studios in Washington. She is, of course, New York Magazine's contributing editor. <laughs> Annie, how are you? I'm thrilled for Mark's new book, and I appreciate that it's about violence and political culture. But my my my, and you should include this detail, Mark. My favorite thing about football is that they carry around little dainty tea towels in their belts while they're running around on the field. It is true. I've never heard them described as dainty, but you know what? Actually, I was thinking about this today. You know what's interesting about football now? Everyone dresses the same, both fans and players alike. You ever mm-hmm. walk around like on a Sunday, and everybody's and you roughly see, yeah. the same. You see packs weight. of people heading to some place, it, but. But they all have their specially licensed uniforms. Elitism some, in sport culture. Is it elitism yeah. or just tribalism gone amok to the merchandising? I, I, I'm not sure. And, and speak, are you going to delve at all into the Disney villain who controls the Washington sports team for which he will not change its name? It's horrible racist name. Dan. Dan Snyder. I just know him He's like Lord Dan. Disney? We shouldn't say wait, wait, his name either. the Disney thing? No, I, I don't think so. But you never know. Look, I got a lot of pages. To the Washington football team, as they will heretofore be described as on this podcast. Here for the Indeed. Way. Mm-hmm. Well, so for those of you who've made it this far past the just riveting back and forth on Mark's book, we're going to be talking about some politics today. First up, is America feeling the burn? And by burn, I of course mean Bernie Sanders, whose impressive straw poll results from the weekend have people scratching their heads and maybe, just maybe, giving the senator from Vermont another look. Next, seven leading Republicans attend the Roast and Ride Cattle Call in Iowa on Saturday. And we have a lot of questions, including whether wearing a leather jacket means Scott Walker is now cool. 
You can't see me, but I'm using air quotes. Third, Republicans seem to be flailing in their beloved domain of family values. We will discuss how Caitlyn Jenner may have changed the race. And of course, we'll end the show with the highly divisive talker we call If I Were in Charge. Let's get to it. Okay, Bernie Mentum. I feel like this is a phrase we've used on mm-hmm. this show, mm-hmm. but it actually might be a real thing. At the Wisconsin Democratic Party convention, Senator Sanders finished a surprisingly close second to Hillary Clinton in a non-binding straw poll with 41% and 49% of the vote, respectively. That's Sanders 41, Clinton 49. 41% is no joke, Mark. Should we be skeptical of that number, or is this in some weird way legitimate? Actually, you know, I want to correct you. It's actually, it is a binding straw poll. Now everyone in Wisconsin and actually everyone in the nation is bound to Bernie Sanders, at least 41% of the people. So I literally just looked at you like, wait, No, 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 I'm kidding. I'm not correcting. What you talking about, Willis? Um, Here's what I think. I, I think Bernie Sanders is certainly a nuisance to Hillary Clinton. He actually could graduate to someone who coalesces a lot of the the left and populist support that I think the Clinton campaign hopes would be split among Martin O'Malley, Sanders, possibly Jim Webb, Lincoln Chafee. I mean, the people who are not Hillary. I don't think he's any serious threat to the nomination, but he is the one by far who is emerging as the non-Hillary, as the alternative. And does anyone think that, that he could possibly come and like make Hillary's life miserable or even win the nomination. No, but, you know, people were saying somewhat similar things about Barack Obama eight years ago because, you know, America's not going to elect a black president, right? Democrats would Yeah, but Bernie him. Sanders didn't give a barn burner at the Democratic National Convention the way that, I mean, Barack Obama came onto the stage and was sort of this That's figure for the future. Right. I think, though, that what this com- might come from is a place where we might underestimate the populist and, frankly, anti-corporate sentiment of the Democratic Democratic Party yeah. at the grassroots. Annie? It makes me think, have we ever had a bald president? Yes. Bernie is not bald. bald. I mean, oh, he has a, a flock bald, of... Right? A flock of... I mean, they're... But, he's not, like, ideally bald, but he's fairly bald. Well, I think Bernie would take issue with that, Annie. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. Anyway, aside from that, no, I think that Mark's assessment is right. Who is going to vote for Bernie Sanders? Is that going to cost Hillary Clinton any vote in in the national election? No, right? You know, at some point she's going to win the primary and and Bernie Sanders will trouble her no more. Can he get her to shift her positions during the primary? Perhaps. That's kind of the way that I think about it. What kind of influence he's going to have on her campaign, not how is this going to influence an, an actual electoral outcome? Let me just say this. There is an interesting analysis in The New York Times from this past weekend, wherein Maggie Haberman posits that the Clinton campaign is no longer trying to amass the sort of independent voters, the centrists that made Bill Clinton's 92 campaign a success. She is just looking to enthuse the base or just get the vote Democratic voters who might otherwise stay home fired up, excited about her candidacy and out to the polls. She's not trying to bring new voters in. She knows where the demographics of the country are. She knows what the numbers look like. And she basically just has to get a lot of Democrats out, unlike midterms where Democrats don't show up. The reason the Bernie Sanders thing is, I think, potentially problematic is those are fired up voters. Those are people who've been excited, who like progressive politics. Hillary Clinton has articulated remarkably progressive positions thus far in the campaign. I'm actually pretty impressed. But I just don't know if there are people that are fired up to go out and vote for her. Obviously, it's like a million light years until the election. 
But I think Sanders represents unbridled enthusiasm that has been incredibly elusive for the Clinton campaign. Yeah, but we yes. don't, I'm not sure that we quite know that yet, right? I think that people are really enthusiastic about her, but there's also this feeling that, you know, she's such a sure bet to win the primary. Right. But that could be and, a problem, couldn't you know, it? There's no, there's no foe for her to be against yet, right? Once it's her and a single Republican, I think that the base is going to be pretty galvanized. Second thing, and I thought that piece was so interesting, but I somewhat disagree with it in the sense that it just 1992 was a very different time in politics. It is very, very early days. And it's it's been a, you know, a multi-year process for these campaigns to just get a lot more sophisticated about actually reaching out to that relatively small sliver of voters that matter. But I don't know if Mark has a different opinion. Of it. Well, in 1968, and I was three years old, so I remember. You weren't this. born yet. You were zygote. I was, I was, I was a very, very lucid zygote, though. And as a student of history, my zygote <laughs> you know, was steeped in this. Eugene McCarthy was seen as someone who would never win. He was a protest candidate, and lo and behold, he does extremely well in the early primaries. And Lyndon Johnson says, "Hey, you know what? This party doesn't want to vote for me." I got some real problems. I'm getting out of the race. Now, Hillary Clinton probably won't get out of the race. I don't think that she will be defeated in an early primary. But there is what I think could be a very real problem of, of weakness being shown early, if, if especially there aren't alternatives to Bernie, if Bernie sort of becomes the, the sort of lightning rod for all populist, lefty kind of energy in the party. And then a lot of these people get so fired up around Bernie that they stay home in November. I mean, I think... The, you know, what we're in an age of data now. I think the, the Clinton campaign probably very smartly is running numbers. They're trying to piece together a coalition that will get them to, you know, 55, 60 percent of the vote through the primary, get them to the general and then worry about getting the Bernie Sanders voters home. But the longer this goes on, the louder this debate is, the harder it is going to be to get them back. I agree with you, Annie, that it's a really different... 1992 was a totally different year. And that idea that she could run in southern states is like a complete pipe dream at this point, even if you look at the state of Arkansas, which Phil Rucker at The Post, I think, has an... Or Philip Bump at The Post has an analysis about, which is... It's a rejoinder, basically, to the New York Times piece, and says that actually, if Clinton goes for this Obama coalition, which is actually more broadly representative of the country, she could get out more voters than Bill Clinton did in 1992. Every time Philip bump rights about something. Does a candidate get a Philip bump? Yep. <laughs> Just saying. That's actually a nom de plume. <laughs> oh, is that it's his a, name? You know, no, it, no. It, it, it's actually his name. I know. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. Or is it Phil Rucker's nom de plume? I'm kidding. Busiest man in all of journalism, Philip Rucker slash bump. Philip Rucker um, nay bump. But I think that we saw this kind of interesting dynamic in the Republicans where Mitt Romney was kind of pushed to take positions that, you know, moved further and further to the right in order to win the primary. And that you could argue really hurt him in the general election because he ended up being somewhat out of step with what average folks in the middle wanted. I don't see that happening with Democrats, in part because Hillary Clinton, as as Alex has pointed out, has taken these like very surprisingly progressive stances on things. And, you know, who knows whether that will be reflected when she puts more information out and actually commits to these things. But also, it's just not clear to me that a lot of those things are actually so unpopular with average Americans. In some cases, they don't care about them that much. And in some cases, they're actually fairly popular populist positions. So I think it's it's kind of interesting. You, you always hear this phrase, right, like Tea Party of the Left, but it just doesn't actually exist. Well, yeah. I, think... I mean, comprehensive immigration reform is broadly, broadly desired yeah. by the right. rest of the country. You have it giving people the right to vote right. and not trying to infringe 
revenge on that is, you know, yeah. kind of popular. And it is. Journalists have been trying to make the Tea Party of the left happen for years now, and it just hasn't. <laughs> you could argue that the Tea Party is sort of baked into the left ethos, right? And it was, you know, in the in the spirit that got Barack Obama nominated to begin with. I mean, I, I think the Occupy part. Well, of the, the Occupy tea part. part, yes. But even that, I mean, that was sort of presaged by the grassroots movement that got behind Howard Dean or got behind Barack Obama. I think. But I agree. I, I think the point that the things that Hillary Clinton has to say to, quote unquote, move to the left are much more acceptable to more people, you know, in the middle, i.e., you know, campaign finance reform, being tough on banks than Mitt Romney saying, you know, we, we think people should self-deport. Exactly. So <laughs> right. there's a big difference. All right. Well, that's a good segue here. But before we get into the Republicans, tell us what you think about Bernie Mentum, whether we should ever say that phrase again or abandon it at this podcast. Our email address is podcastforamerica at gmail.com. Okay. Seven leading Republicans attended the Roast and Ride cattle call in Iowa on Saturday, including Scott Walker, Mike Huckabee, and Rick Perry, bespectacle, naturally, Franzen style. <laughs> every time. Every time. I mean, it's just going to happen from now till Rick Perry is elected president. Okay. We have some questions. One, who is actually the GOP frontrunner? Two, who will be among the chosen ten? That should be a reality show in Fox's GOP debate this August. And three, does Scott Walker look as cool as he thinks he does on his Harley Davidson? Annie, let's start with the last one. I love the the whole candidate in a leather jacket, Harley Davidson thing. It's just delightfully camp. I hope that they all do it throughout <laughs> the entirety of the campaign cycle. I do think that there's this question, right? Like, how much does this early campaigning help? You know, do people really care? I think Scott Walker is actually one of the couple candidates that this has worked pretty well for. He has been at a couple of these cattle calls. There's been several of them. There's so many candidates at this point, and there's still such a scrum to, to, to determine who that front runner is. You know, I think that Scott Walker is one of the ones who who has really been helped by showing up at these things and just looking really cool and like you know hmm. lighting a cigarette and do you have uh, air quotes actually, around that he actually lit a cigarette <laughs> no oh okay I'm just, i mean I, not you know. to my knowledge at least he ripped I'm, a major I'm, bong hit i am very 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 gullible <laughs> yeah. and then he did a keg stand <laughs> no he it's popped open a four loco and yeah, <laughs> yeah. doesn't he actually um, drive a harley though doesn't he have he is though? he wanted to be he told our own casey hunt that he wanted to be the president of the harley davidson corporation and i to that to that end i say go scott walker go be that president sure. instead of our president are they unionized at the harley plant that could be bad. well he can break them well actually to annie's point though scott walker actually does have a bald spot and um, oh, wow. I didn't know that. He does not. And, and, you know, it's hard to see, but he has a, a very big bald spot. He was asked about it once, and he claimed that it was not an actual bald spot. He hit his head on a cabinet no. doing some work no, around did. the house. No. And whatever the hair in that part of the head no. stopped growing. Yeah, look it up. So no I, way. As a, as a bald American, since someone who Gosh. absolutely is at home and embraces <laughs> his baldness, and I could tell you all the reasons why. You know, as someone who would actually run away and flip-flop on his baldness and try to be cute about it, wow. I have personally very, very a difficult time. Also, it is not cool to say shit like that. Sorry for the French. No, it's not. It's just stupid. I just, okay, here's, I, I here's my thesis, is I just think the more you try to be cool, the less cool you are. And this election isn't about cool. 
2008 was in large part about being cool. It was about having Will I Am make videos for you and getting Jay Z and Beyonce. I mean, Barack Obama assembled a very cool coalition of stars and thinkers and writers and entertainers. That is never going to happen again. Who was the so last? Stop, stop, stop trying. Who was the last cool Republican candidate? Like, I mean, because Bill Clinton was cool, I guess, in '92, sort of, maybe. I mean, I mean here's what I'll really say. Really like, cool. there was a moment where Chris Christie could have been cool. That moment is now gone. Right. Where he just had this kind of charisma and screw it all attitude. And, you know, I can't believe that... this, but I think you have to go back to Reagan in terms of but just like cool? a certain self possession. Cool. Revered, maybe. Well, I think that's part of the problem with conservatives is this sort of expansive, culturally like savvy viewpoint is not one that is frequently found on their side of the aisle. Well, it's but... much more traditional and it's conservative by nature. Yeah. Do you think that Paul Ryan has any cool? Uh, that's I a think good as, question. As soon as I saw those photos of him posing in the gym, the really easy ones, I was like, nope. Yeah, well, Mark? No. I, th- I think Marco Rubio... Here's what's interesting about... Marco Rubio oh, yeah, is not cool, here's you guys. The, here, whoa, 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 wait. But okay, he, I think, actually, if we were going to anoint, we're not anointing, but if you were going to synthesize the various anointments going sure. out there. Marco Rubio would probably be seen he as... He checks some boxes. He, he checks, he'd be seen as a front-runner-ish person. At this because point, he right? can talk about Tupac no, because, and Eminem? No, because he gives good speeches and people like his politics and he's compelling and he's Latino and he seems to be you know, connecting with Savvy. people. Savvy. But what's interesting is that he no longer talks about his love of rap hip-hop. music or hip-hop. Well, because or, he knows that Tupac Shakur exactly. would be rolling in his grave or doing whatever he is in Cuba if he knew that Marco Rubio was saying that Tupac was one of his favorite artists when Tupac's message was radically leftist. Did you know that most people who are said to be rolling in their graves are actually cremated? I learned this the hard way because the most commonly said to be rolling in his grave person... Is George Washington. No, is... Edward R. Morrow. Whenever someone does something <laughs> interesting, in that you're looking at me. When no, you say I'm that. not. Edward R. Morrow is rolling in his grave whenever there is some offense, you know, visited upon journalism. And I remember I did a story on this cliche once many years ago, and I called Edward R. Morrow's son, and I said, "What do you think of this?" And he goes, "Yeah, it's really interesting, especially because you know my dad was cremated." That's amazing. So. What's interesting is you presented this as if you had other evidence of other people who are said to be rolling in their graves and are were cremated. Well, um, you said most people about whom the phrase is saying, said. I am. Oh, that's true. And by most people, I'm I being mean challenged on my facts. Edward R. Murrow. Well, just because Edward R. Morrow has such a hammerlock on the cliche. At this okay. Point. Let's talk quickly before we segue to our next segment about who's actually going to be in the chosen 10 Who on the, the debate 10? the debate stage at this moment in time. We're going to have at some point like a peloton, right? Like a, 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 a leading a leading group. Oh, if only you knew. And it, I didn't go to an be, Ivy League school. It'll like be like Jeff Bush. What's a peloton? It's the little pack of cyclists and they hang out together like until one France. breaks away. Edward R. Really? Murrow is rolling in well, his Well, wait, a yeah. peloton. I thought those were like those birds with like the... Oh, no, that's a peloton. Peloton. <laughs> you know, yeah, it'll be like Jeb Bush, Scott Walker, Marco Rubio. Right, wait. Well, actually, so- you know, I'm going to rephrase this because instead of us all listing the same names, is Donald Trump going to be on the stage? Is Lindsey Graham going to be on the stage? Is Carly Fiorina and Ben Carson? Which of those four are going to be on the stage? I think they might all be. But I think it's also going to be abundantly clear. Numerically, that they are. I don't they think can. Lindsey Graham will. 
I think Lindsey Graham's going to be on the stage. I don't think Ben Carson's going to be really? on the stage. Really? Man, it depends. I mean, I guess when the polls come, because the debate's in August, and I don't know when they'll cut off or when the last batch of polls will be. So, I mean, Carson always shows up. Like, I know he's he does. Kind he's of actually way up there. He is. Mike I mean, he's Huckabee? Having Why am I saying that? Huckabee has, like, he seems to have his base. I don't know if it's an evangelical base or just the people who listen to his show Huckabee base. is very good at talking and, he, and, and, and doling out heaping spoonfuls of his message. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, I think he'll be there. I mean, I don't know what the natural constituency for Lindsey Graham... Lindsey Graham is making himself an outcast by admitting that man, climate change is man-made and talking about a path to citizenship, but he's also a sitting senator and is pretty influential among conservative hawks and... I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. It's so he's he's pulling at one point three percent, which is just above you. Am I in the Republican? Wow. Yeah, I, you're well, right. I would in. love to be on that stage. I would you're right in. So I would be so interesting on that stage. We'd love to have you. Maybe there. not. But it's funny though, because the the hawkish right. I don't quite know what that is these days. Like it's basically Lindsey Graham and John McCain. And, like, Tom Cotton in the Senate. Well, you could argue that there are a lot of hawks, but they won't actually articulate their hawkishness. Like, they're really angry about what's happening in the Mideast, but they're not actually going to commit to troops. Right. right. They're but critics they'll, criti- well, they'll critique. Or they're, they're critics without a plan. They but, are critics But their goals look a lot like Lindsey Graham's goals. Yeah, I think yeah. that's right. I think it's going to come down to the willingness to use a lot more force, though perhaps not a lot more troops to, to send over to Syria and Iraq, right? The implication being that that Barack Obama has been weak and has allowed this caliphate exactly. to flourish. And yeah, but those but those are not Iowa New. These are not like primary issues, are they? I mean, well, I conservative issue. hawks and evangelicals sometimes go hand in hand, but True. it remains to be seen. I'm going to take this moment to segue to another Republican conservative talking point slash potential quagmire. The GOP usually feels like it has a family values conversation on lock. But lately, with Caitlyn Jenner, a Republican, on the cover of Vanity Fair, and Mike Huckabee's ridiculous comments about Josh Duggar, it feels like the left is kind of rubbing the right's face in a series of advances. (laughs) If you're the GOP, are you worried, Annie? I think at this point, it's been pretty interesting in that you've seen some people really clearly appealing to a base that has opinions that are becoming increasingly out of step with the average American's opinions that are increasingly becoming anachronistic. That said, a lot of people still hold them. I think that this kind of puts them in an awkward spot. And to be honest, I think that a lot of Republicans just want to avoid all of these issues. Oh, yeah. Especially once they get into ones about reproductive rights and that sort of thing, you you really quickly alienate a lot of people. It's just better for them not to talk about it. I really do think that that's the way that a lot of them think about it. But can they avoid that, Mark? I mean, Caitlyn Jenner was the most talked about, tweeted about, Instagrammed. I mean, they were all asked about it if they sat down with any interviewers last week. And I just don't know if you can sort of keep that in the corner. Uh, No, I don't. I mean, look, the president of the United States tweeted congratulations to Caitlyn Jenner for her Vanity Fair cover in what someone described as a sort of civilization shark jumping moment. This was a conservative. I, I admit that Wait, I Wait, ret- civilization is over now? Well, I, I'm Goodbye. not sure that's the role of the president of the United States to be congratulating someone on a Vanity Fair cover. When, but it wasn't per- just a vanity. A, a it was reality what it represented. Show, it re- okay. Yes. I, I get it. I, I just think that there is... I, w- I wouldn't call it a silent majority at this point because the point that I think about the, the right and the culture wars is that how many states is gay marriage legal in now? Like, was it like 36? 36? Okay. I, think. I don't think there's a single 
Republican candidate who is for same-sex marriage, correct? No, although if you, again, listen to what Lindsey Graham said about Caitlyn Jenner, I hope she is, you know, He's, I hope she would be so. I think that, part, that of, part of our party. That is, that is true. But I also think, look, I think that there's a good portion of America that is not comfortable with this picture on the cover of Vanity Fair. But do you think they even, I mean, I guess this is a sort of the flip flipping the script, but can they say they're not comfortable? I mean, I just feel like the narrative is out there. I, I think in the Republican primary, they probably still can in much of certainly red America and probably a fair amount of swing state America. I mean, in so much as there are still Reagan Democrats and so much as there are still Macomb County voters, and obviously a lot of them are dying off. But yeah, that's like kind of an in-your-face culture war moment, I think. And I think that there's... But don't... I feel like the response has been so... I mean, not necessarily from politicians, but across the spectrum in the national media, on, on online, whatever. I mean, how do you gauge where the country's at? But... It's been overwhelmingly positive to the degree that I just think even if you are sort of not okay with it and you're a little freaked out, you feel like you want to say this is a great thing. Yeah, weirdly, I think that Caitlyn Jenner and the acceptance of transgender Americans, it's bizarrely apolitical in the sense that I think a lot of Republicans would say, well, look, that's her business. That's not my business. But, you know, marriages are ratified by the state. So that's a political issue and, and a little bit, you know, more of a political valence. Abortion is a political issue. We have right. laws around yes. that. And so this is this is more personal cultural. Decision. And yeah. it's also more deeply personal in a way that you can kind of wave your hands and say, I don't have anything to do with that. And to a certain extent, I think that's actually the response that Lindsey Graham gave in part, right? Like, I can't judge her. I'm still for I haven't lived. Marriage, I think he actually but... said, I haven't walked in her shoes. And, you know, and, and that was enough. Well, I would say, I mean, part of the issue here, I think, is there's a, the culture war piece and then there's the hypocrisy piece, right? I mean, if we go to the Duggars, and, the Duggars. And, and we should probably insert something about Denny Hastert here, too. Right. There has been this sort of sanctimonious intolerance from certain corners in the right, from Josh Duggar, who was on the Family Research Council or as a spokesperson from for Denny them. Hastert, who Denny was, Hastert, right. who worked to impeach Bill Clinton and was trying to push for our constitutional amendment to ban same-sex marriage, who was having a homosexual relationship that may have been predatory either way has been characterized as sexual misconduct. That, I mean, as much as anything, like you have these sort of twin tracks of where culture is headed and where they've been and where they've been is not only not where culture is headed, it's where certain people in their own party haven't been. Right. No, I mean, the, the hypocrisy is is astounding. It, it is absolutely astounding. I don't know. I keep thinking of Barney Frank. When, Barney Frank is always talking about this gay rights rally on the mall, I guess about 20 years ago or something where he saw like a, some group of military who were out. out it was sort of, actually, they were, I don't know if they were out, but they were going to do like a, they were either discharged or they were veterans or something. I mean, they were sort of, it was before Don't Ask, Don't Tell ended, but they were comfortably out at this point. And they were lined up to do some kind of cabaret display on the stage. And Barney Frank just shut it down, thinking, you know, this is going to caricature us. This is going to be a very... And, you know, the Times, I actually thought, had a very interesting piece from you know, a feminist, you know, very you know, liberal writer. I forgot her name. But it said that, look, who is Bruce Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner, to define femininity in the context? Basically sort of called out the cliche of how Bruce Jenner, in a very conventional kind of, shall we say, Republican way, chose to display himself and Annie Leibovitz chose to display him or herself on the cover of Vanity Why Fair. Why is that Republican? 
Because it was sort of a traditional, it was very, very played by the rule. I mean, I think that, I feel like that's almost a nonpartisan objectification of like the female form. I, I think it, well, yes, I would agree. I just thought it was a lousy photo, personally. Although the cover of your next book is you in a merry widow, isn't it? Um, that's we, what that bustier is called. We can't talk about this yet, but maybe <laughs> you think. How do you think that would do? You think that would help? Excellent. Sales or help sales? Really? Okay. It's yeah, all about marketing. You know, I thought that that piece was really interesting. In that Caitlyn Jenner, she chose to project this kind of somewhat stereotypical form of femininity and seemed like to a certain extent she was sort of, you know, play acting, being a woman. At the same time, I thought that the piece was a little bit, um, you know, I, I, I felt bad because I feel like it's it's too much to ask Caitlyn Jenner to be representative of a gender or even just representative of transgender people when she's going through such a dramatic transformation amid a ton of scrutiny, right? So that was my issue with the piece. You know, I don't think that she was saying anything about the way in which I'm a woman or the way in which Alex is a woman. And I think it's it's really interesting how she's caused everybody to stop and reflect. One thing that's amazing to me is how fast I think awareness of and acceptance of transgender folks is happening. And, you know, they're still massively, massively discriminated against. You see some of these statistics, especially about young kids, and it's just awful. But at the same time, you know, the fact that you have this beloved Olympic medal winning woman, you know, coming out and, and having this sort beloved. of... loved. Is she beloved? Yeah, I, I, I feel I mean, like Bruce, Bruce Jenner, as Bruce Jenner, He's a reality was, uh, I wasn't in the, I wasn't born in the 1970s, as you know, I'm only 19 Were you a zygote? I was not even, <laughs> I was the, the, a glimmer in the eye of a zygote. Is that possible? No. I don't know. But yes, I mean, he was on the cover of Wheaties. Of he the was cover, on the, the cover. cover of Wheaties, like he it's was. a magazine. One of my favorite magazines he was on the box in the 70s. of Wheaties, which I think qualifies you as an American hero. I, I, I Doesn't do. it? Absolutely, yes. Although I do think that he has somewhat self-selected himself over the last several years as a reality show. I wouldn't say freak, but well, I would call, say let's anyone. Let's call her her. She's asked us to call her her. Her. You know, and, well, Bruce Jenner asked yes, was, was a man, was, but yes. now he yeah. has transitioned. She to... she was Bruce Jenner, and now she's Caitlyn Jenner. No, he I, was I Bruce just... Jenner, and now she is Caitlyn Jenner. That's evidence of how fast this. But stuff I do has think changed. that she's yeah. talked really compellingly about being on this reality show, constantly having this camera in her face, and at the same time dealing with the issues that she was dealing with. You know, I agree with you that yeah, she, you know, she's a reality star. That's kind of crass or whatever. But at the same time, I really do think that there's a pretty profound moment of cultural reflection about this. Yeah, the fact that we are talking about that that Barack Obama in 2008 yeah. could not talk about his support for gay marriage, and that this year's sort of, if we can call a litmus test this year's talking point is what do you think of the artist formerly known as bruce jenner now known as caitlin jenner is dramatic my only point is i think it would be more palatable and 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 maybe it would be a cleaner debate if the poster child for all this did not come from shall we say the reality show community see i'm going to disagree with you and say that i actually agree with josh barrow who first said this to me and i think he's right it is such a violently traumatic process Mm -hmm. and we are asking to see it as a nation or we've said we will watch it if it is put in front of us that to do it to share and to some degree overshare requires someone who is very comfortable with media and the scrum and the attention and just putting it all out there And, and I think in a weird way and I am not a fan of keeping up with the Kardashians because I'm too busy watching Desperate Housewives. No, I'm just not like a Kardashian diehard, but I actually think they weirdly might be the right people for this moment. That like for this particular moment, this is exactly the family that you need. 
Because if it yeah. was anyone else, I think they might just crumble under the pressure and the spotlight and the questions. And sure. The and I completely agree. And I also think, and, and to use a word that has unfortunately become very politicized, but Caitlyn Jenner was a person of privilege, right? She was extremely wealthy, famous, an Olympian. And just had all of these things going for her that I think kind of protected her. And, and she's gone through this really remarkable public transformation, I think, in part because she came from that privilege a little bit. And I, I disagree, Mark, in the sense that I think that these social changes, you know, you you don't get to pick your, your sort of perfect representative. Like, everybody is really human. And I actually, I've just been very touched by watching Caitlyn Jenner go through this because it seems really difficult. And she's been really honest about how difficult it's been. And I, I appreciate that. And you do, you just, you think about the people for whom she is doing this, right? And and again, it's it's like kids, you know, who are maybe living out in the middle of nowhere and are maybe horrifically bullied and discriminated against. And, you know, maybe it's great to see, you know, just one person can do it. And even if they are sort of henpecked by the media, you know, she's she's come out on the other side and said that she's she's happier for it. She feels more like herself. And that's, you and, know, and kind I of think a wonderful that thing. That, that is great. I, I do think, though, that the notion, I, I love the expression henpecked by the media, because I do think that the media has a very, very shallow and very, very narrow and frankly, very kind of almost assaultive sort of notion of how people should see things. And mm-hmm. I don't know, frankly, this is a much right. more nuanced and subjective process. Yeah, I think we haven't in the media made any space for people to be totally freaked out and not OK with this, which some people inevitably are. Yes. I mean, it's just okay. it is happening at such a dramatic rate of change. There are definitely people out there who don't feel like they can say, oh, absolutely. this is I'm not OK with this. Yeah. On that hanging note, we will be back with more and specifically our highly divisive argumentative segment if I were in charge. But first, let's hear a word from our sponsors. These days, you can get practically everything on demand, like our podcast, Podcast for America. You want to listen to it, so you tap a button and voila, here we are. So why are you still dealing with limited hours at the post office when you can get your postage on demand with Stamps.com? Use Stamps.com to buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your own computer and printer. It's great for homes, it's great for small businesses, and it's a fraction of the cost of a postage meter. Plus, unlike the post office, Stamps.com never closes. Right now, use our promo code, AMERICA, for this special offer. A no-risk trial plus a $110 bonus offer that includes up to $55 in free postage. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and enter AMERICA. That's Stamps.com, enter code AMERICA. Okay, and now for the segment everyone in America and the Milky Way has been waiting for, the thing we call If I Were in Charge. Let's start with you, Mark. Let me preface this by saying we talked earlier about hypocrisy. Yeah. Well, I'm going to bring us into an act of hypocrisy by issuing my own If I Were in Charge. Straw polls. We put a lot of stake in straw polls. There's been a lot of discussion about straw polls. Can we just get rid of them? I would just get rid of all straw polls. Now, again, the hypocrisy there is that we spent the first segment here sort of pivoting off of a Wisconsin straw poll in which Bernie Sanders did surprisingly well. So put that aside. I just think straw polls are completely counterproductive. I think candidates make stupid decisions based on them. The media draws stupid conclusions based on them. They're small. They're unscientific. They're often rather random. They're also artificially inflated by people bussing in things. I would do away with straw polls. And they're bad for the environment. All that they're straw. They're terrible for the environment. Absolutely. Following on Mark's pledge to make hypocrites of all of us, if I were in charge, I would ban anything mentum. 
like Mitt Mentum, Bernie Mentum, and the inevitable Carly Mentum. Everyone in this race at some point is going to have mentum. some Mentum. Mentum Mentum, if you will. The Mentum has a lot of Mentum. So let's stop talking about it and just talk about who we want to talk about. Annie. If I were in charge, I would keep the system of inches and pounds that we currently have mm. in contravention oh. to Lincoln Chafee, who announced <laughs> that he is also running for president and uh. would like to switch us to the metric system in part as a gesture to the rest of the world. God, no. Annie, thank you for bringing this up. No. I miss I will that. not I mean, do I, it. I, I don't care it. that it makes Did more sense. Did he actually make it? Was he actually reading from a speech? Oh, yes. This makes clear to me that Lincoln Chafee has zero friends. Because yeah. if he has, if he had one single friend to whom he said, hey, I'm going to announce that I'm running for president, A, any good friend would have been like, don't do that, Lincoln. And then B, if he had said one of the things, one of my top line objectives is going to be to convert us to metric, the friends would also say, don't even go near a microphone over the course of the next two years. Because that is is a suggestion that will make a fool of you. I do think it's true that the metric system makes more sense, right? Like it all fits together sort of beautifully on like our jumble of Yeah, but don't we need to like have a functioning infrastructure before we get... Yeah. The notion that you would actually consider this to be like a serious issue given everything else that's going on is (laughs) beyond me. We're going to leave it there. That's all for Podcast for America. Our producer is Sarah Abdurrahman. Thanks also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Please... Let us know what you think of the show and what you think the title of Mark's next book should be. You'll find us on Twitter at Pod for America. Our email address is podcastforamerica at gmail.com. And if you like the show, all four of you, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us in iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to leave us a rating or comment whenever and wherever you subscribe. It helps other people discover our show, other people other than our family members. For Annie Lowry and Mark Leibovich, I'm Alex Wagner in New York. We'll talk to you next time, and thanks for listening.